if you were Ant-Man and you went giant, if you're just going down steps to steps, you know, if you could take one step and was on like a mile, then you'd really be able to feel the enormity of these grand staircase steps. Ash, I will call out. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Paul Rudd is Ash's favorite person in the world. I would choose Paul Rudd over Chris Hemsworth any day. <laughs> I love Paul Rudd. Yes. This is the Exploring the National Parks podcast with Dirt in My Shoes. My name is Ash and I'm a former park ranger and the founder of Dirt in My Shoes. I think that the parks are best seen from the trail and I'm here to make national park trip planning easy. And I'm John. I carry the kids on the trails, I tell stories, and notice all the things that Ash doesn't care about much, like trees. Join us as we show you around America's spectacular national parks. We're sharing our favorite places, fun facts, adventures, and misadventures. And we'll even throw in a little trip planning. Let's start exploring. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the best episode on Bryce Canyon, the episode where I tell you about all the fun things that are so cool and slightly nerdy and a little bit geeky outy about Bryce Canyon National Park. I'm excited for this. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to say, but basically, while we're hiking, you always entertain me with fun facts and things that you learn about the park. So yes. it's kind of like we're just hiking along and you're telling me about the park. Yeah, this will be kind of fun. So this is the fun facts episode. And so there's five fun facts that I'm going to tell you about the park. And we'll just kind of geek out for a few minutes, if that's okay with you. Not that you have a choice. I guess you could <laughs> stop listening to the podcast. But <laughs> I would encourage you to soldier on and you will have some fun. So, fun fact number one, hoodoos are cool. And Bryce Canyon National Park has the highest concentration of hoodoos of anywhere in the world. Nice. I believe that because I can't think of a place where I've seen hoodoos. Nothing really like this. Bryce Canyon. Yeah. You know, there's a few, like Red Canyon just outside of Bryce Canyon. They have a couple hoodoos. Mm -hmm. Cedar Breaks National Monuments has some hoodoos, but yep. that's like right in the same area. Yeah. But there's some smaller areas around Southern Utah and some things. And there's a lot of places, things that kind of resemble hoodoo-ish th stuff like this, but nothing even compares to... Well, I didn't know it had the most. Yeah. Do we know how many there are? I don't think I have that number. I don't have that number here. I don't know if they have that number. Yeah, that's probably true. It probably constantly changes because there's always new erosion happening within the park that's like decommissioning some hoodoos and there's new hoodoos that are being formed all the time. Sure, but not like day to day. <laughs> every single day a hoodoo <laughs> dies and every single day a hoodoo is born in Bryce Canyon National Park. Oh, that's really cool though. There yeah. are a lot of hoodoos there. It's really cool. Now, do you know why Bryce Canyon is different from like say other parks like Arches? Besides the hoodoos? Yeah, like, like why do hoodoos form in Bryce Canyon versus like in Arches where Arches formed? It's an interesting question. I, you know, the first thing that came to my mind is maybe having something to do with the elevation or like the location it is mm -hmm. on the plateau. I don't even know. I'm trying to go back to like my second grade geology or whatever, <laughs> a plateau, a mesa, a butte. In Utah, it is state law that students take Utah history in eighth grade. So I'm sure that I realize... So what is it? Is it a plateau? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. We're all part of the Colorado plateau. Right, 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 right. Okay, I was right. I knew. Somewhere uh -huh. down in my psyche, yes. it was saying plateau. So that's kind of maybe the first thing that comes to mind. Although when you said that, when you said like compared to Arches, I was thinking, yeah, Arches doesn't really have hoodoos, but you know, like the Fisher Towers area uh -huh. kind yep. of near moab and stuff like there are some similar formations uh-huh there are yep. kind of in that area obviously not to the extent of bryce canyon right so i don't know i would assume it has something to do with the way that the side of the canyon which technically bryce canyon isn't a canyon it's right that's night it's not a canyon but you know the bowl-shaped amphitheater there it must have something to do with how it's eroding to make mm -hmm. so many hoodoos correct there's a few differences but Generally speaking, a lot of the, I mean, the Southern Utah parks, they're all in Utah. They're not that far apart, but they're all part of the Colorado Plateau. But there are different kinds of stone. There's different compositions 
of these different stone layers. And so that all matters when you're dealing with erosive forces like wind, water, ice, you know, and things like that, that are all wearing down these different stone layers as time goes on. And so they create different formations. And so in places like arches, if we took like one solid sandstone block, they kind of show these in illustrations in some of the park publications and things like that. You take a solid sandstone block and in arches, what's going to happen is it'll slowly erode and you'll, you know, instead of a sandstone block, you might get a couple of fins. Yeah. Exactly. And then the fin breaks down to the arch. Exactly. Yeah. Now those same forces are working in Bryce Canyon, but I think in Bryce Canyon, if I remember correctly, a geologist, feel free to send us an email, you know, (laughs) scathing email, you know, (laughs) describing exactly how it's happening. But in the composition in Bryce Canyon, the elevation is significantly higher than in Moab and in Arches. I guess what I'm thinking is, you know, if it's colder, then the water that falls is more likely to ice, uh-huh. which is going to break apart the rocks differently. Exactly. Right? I don't have the information comparatively to other places, but one thing that the parks made a big deal about is that Bryce Canyon and the elevation is part of this, 170 nights out of the year. So out of the 365 days a year, 170 of those nights, the temperature is both above and below freezing. Right. Which makes sense mm -hmm. why it would erode differently. Yep. Because Moab is significantly warmer than Bryce. I mean, it's so hot in arches sometimes, but Bryce Canyon generally is It can get warm, but it's generally mild. Yeah. But so then if it's warmer than freezing during the day, Mm -hmm. most of the time, Mm -hmm. then if water comes, it's in rain, Mm -hmm. but then there's a good chance it will freeze. Yep. And do you know how much does water expand when it freezes? Well, it yeah, it expands a lot. I learned that when I put a soda in the freezer. Yeah. (laughs) By 9%. It expands by 9%. And so there's so many nights in Bryce Canyon where the water freezes and thaws, basically. And so there's just, it erodes in a different way than it will in other places. Plus the fact that the composition is a little bit different too. So there's a little bit more, I think it was carbonic acid in the rocks in Bryce Canyon, which means that carbonic acid, any type of slightly acidic water that hits these rocks is going to like suddenly dissolve. Well, so that's what carved out, because I worked at Timpanogos Cave National Monument Mm -hmm. doing cave tours, and it's that acid that also goes through like the limestone and stuff that carves out caves. Uh Uh-huh. And so it's such a cool thing. So even though all these parks are all in Utah, and they're in generally, I mean, if you compare it to the world, pretty close together, but these slight differences make huge differences in the way that the shapes form on these hoodoos. And so it's really cool. And I don't know, I thought I'd want to talk about those hoodoos and how cool they are because they're unique. And yeah, for sure. I mean, when you first look at Bryce Canyon, mm-hmm. it takes your breath away. It's just like, I mean, Utah is full of otherworldly views. Right. But I almost think that like Bryce Canyon is the king of those otherworldly views uh-huh. where you look at it and you're just like, how is this even here? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. so it doesn't look like it belongs on earth. Right. And fun fact five, we're going to get into the human aspect of Bryce Canyon a little bit and how like humans react to Bryce Canyon. It's it's pretty fun. But yeah, it it is such a cool place. I love Bryce Canyon. The hoodoos are the star of the show for sure. And there's more of them in Bryce Canyon than in any other place. So what's your favorite hoodoo? My favorite hoodoo is, well. (laughs) The one that is. Three to the left of... <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's that, only a couple of names. There's so many. Well, on the okay. I don't have a name for it, but it's a formation. On the Peekaboo Loop, as you're coming back around towards Wall Street, there's like a wall of hoodoos. <laughs> the wall of windows? The, yeah. I yeah. think it is the wall of windows. Yeah. I think that's the name. That's probably my favorite. The wall of hoodoos with holes, like little arches. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the wall of windows. Yeah. That one's super cool. Yeah. I do love that one. What about yours? So I've always loved Queen Victoria. Uh-huh. I just think that one's really cool. I like how they have the picture of the queen yeah. right down there on the sign by the hoodoo. It does look just like her. And it like looks her. like her. Like she's wearing a big like bustled dress, mm-hmm. carrying her orb. Is that yep. what they're called? 
orb. I think it is the orb. Or a, you know, those balls. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point of it? I don't know. But anyway. The I wouldn't want looks- a giant gold fall. <laughs> I mean, I guess, but I don't think I'd be carrying it around. <laughs> but anyway, the hoodoo looks just like the picture. Mm-hmm. And so it's really fun to make the connection. And, you know, that's the whole reason the Queen's Garden is called the Queen's Garden, because Queen Victoria lives down at the bottom in hoodoo form. Yep. It's so cool. So that's the one I remember from like visiting the park a lot when I was younger and Mm -hmm. stuff. That's the one that I always remember most, you know, and then you've got Thor's hammer, which is very popular. I would say that's probably our kids favorite. Like they always want to go see Thor's hammer. Right. So that one's really fun too. Yeah. I love how, despite the fact that you love Chris Hemsworth so much, that Thor's hammer wasn't your favorite. I mean, (laughs) that makes me feel good as your husband. Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Just because the hammer's not my favorite doesn't mean the man isn't. <laughs> uh, as I flex. I love you. I love you. You're too. great. Okay. Number two, Bryce Canyon is the top and final step of the Grand Staircase. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So a lot of people have probably heard of the Grand Staircase. It's actually a national monument in Utah, the Grand Staircase National Monument. Grand Staircase Escalante, I think is its official name. But the Grand Staircase is incredible. And so if you have never been to Southern Utah, or if you've ever seen pictures of it, if if you've been through there or whatever, there are lots of cliffs. And generally the cliffs represent a layer of sediment. They represent a geologic layer of time. And they're a lot of times they're different colors too. Have yeah. you noticed the different colors? Yeah. Well, I always thought the grand staircase, like when I learned about it at school and stuff, like, you know, you see the charts of mm-hmm. it or whatever. And you think that like, oh yeah, when I go see that, it's going to look like a staircase, uh-huh. but it's much too big to really grasp. Right. Yes, there are layers and yes, the levels like go down Mm -hmm. like a staircase with cliffs, like you said, kind of differentiating between the different layers. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I always thought the staircase was smaller, like something that you could photograph Uh (laughs) really well. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a special hiking trail. Yeah. Yeah. The Grand Staircase. Yeah. I was a little disappointed when I found that out. However, as I've gotten older and like learned more about the Grand Staircase, mm-hmm. like nah, this is super cool. No, it's super cool. It's super huge. In fact, it's so big that it's actually difficult to see all of the steps from one location because the curvature of the earth right. makes it hard to That's see. Cool. And so but, there are a few places where you can. Yeah. There's a couple in Bryce Canyon where you can see all the different steps that culminate in the Grand Canyon. So if you're at the top of Bryce Canyon, you're at the top step. And if you're at the right spot, you can see. So Bryce Canyon is like the pink cliffs. And then it goes to like the white cliffs, the gray cliffs, the chocolate cliffs, the vermilion cliffs. You know, so there's all these different layers. Is that, that in order? Up. Or is that just? Uh, it's mostly in order. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, it culminates in the Grand Canyon. And the bottom of the Grand Canyon is the oldest of all the layers. So it's like 600 million years ago is when that rock was formed. And then the top Bryce Canyon is like 30 to 50 million years old. Okay. So it's significantly younger than the oldest layers. Well, that's cool. And and that makes sense why you would be able to see the staircase from Bryce Canyon Mm because you're at the top. You're at a very high elevation along that plateau. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I remember like if you stand out at Yovempa Point, mm-hmm. then you can see the layers. Yeah. And they actually pointed out. There's a little plaque yeah, there. Yeah, but you shows can you see everything. the layers. But I always, so if you're driving down in southern Utah, like northern Arizona, heading over to like Page, uh-huh. Arizona, you can see the Vermilion Cliffs. Yep. Which are so cool, They're, by the way. They're what, so cool. What color is Vermilion? I mean, they look red. <laughs> <laughs> I like know. a really deep purpley red, right? Is that what vermilion is? I don't know. I'm just asking. <laughs> yeah. Grab your Crayola box and find vermilion for me. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, yeah, I would say a pretty deep red. I mean, it's not like a really bright red. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe reddish purple. It's for, so pretty. Yeah, those are really pretty. So, I've seen those. And then the pink cliffs for Bryce Canyon, that makes sense because mm-hmm. the rocks are... Very yep. pink. So, and some of these cliffs they extend into Zion. 
Okay. And so like the white cliffs, I think it's the Navajo sandstone. Oh, okay. So that's that one layer there that you can see if you're visiting both parks. But yeah, you, it's so cool. You got, and it's this whole area of Southern Utah that's been pushed up. So a long, 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 long time ago, millions and millions of years ago, the North American tectonic plate crashed into another tectonic plate that shoved all these layers up and they're slightly diagonal, which is why... It's not exactly like a staircase that you could like walk up if you're going up the stairs or something like that. But you can see all these different cliffs and they're all slightly kind of turned up and you'll see them in different places around Southern Utah and everything like that. Capitol Reefs, you can see are really twisted. Right. Right. But this grand staircase, if you were Ant-Man and you went giant, you know, and you were getting ready to, if you're just going down steps to steps, you know, if you could take one step, it was like a mile, then you'd really be able to feel the enormity of these grand staircase steps. And it's so cool. And depending on which direction you're traveling, if you're going from the Grand Canyon north, or if you're going from Bryce Canyon south, you're traveling in time too. So you're either going back in time towards the Grand Canyon, or you're going forward in time towards Bryce Canyon. Nice. Nice. Lots of superhero references today. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Ant-Man, Ash, I will call out. Oh, no. <laughs> Paul Rudd is Ash's favorite person in the world. I would choose Paul Rudd over Chris Hemsworth any day. <laughs> I love Paul Rudd. Yes. And imagine my surprise when I learned he's like 50. <laughs> it's a little disturbing, but he doesn't look Sexiest it. Sexiest man alive oh my at 50 gosh. years old. And he's so funny. So yes. yeah, I, I love Paul Rudd. Yes. And he should turn into giant version of Ant-Man and walk down the grand staircase <laughs> Do a public service announcement on that. You know, that would be pretty sweet. Paul Rudd, if you're listening, I love you. (laughs) Oh, man. Big fan. All right. So that's fun fact number two. Bryce Canyon is the top step of the Grand Staircase. Very cool. I did not know that. I knew the staircase was there and you could see it, but I didn't know it was the top. Awesome. All right. Fun fact number three. Bryce Canyon has amazing night skies. Yeah. Have you taken the time, Ash, to look out and enjoy the night skies? I have. You can't go to Bryce Canyon and not look at the night sky. Although, arguably, it's much harder to do when you have really young kids. (laughs) Yes, when bedtime is 7.30, (laughs) kids go to bed and the sun is still out. And you're like, we'll just stay in and watch HGTV tonight in the hotel. (laughs) There is a way you can not see the sky, but you should make an effort to pop outside, enjoy the skies because they are incredible. And I've got a few fun things here to tell you a little about. So in 2019, Bryce actually became an international dark sky park. So there's a few places around the country and around the world where it's, there's just like, it's dark enough. There's not enough settlements or cities and stuff around. So it can be dark enough and you can just enjoy the dark night sky exceptionally well. And Bryce Canyon is one of those places. Nice. I believe that because it, Really doesn't have anything around it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of the term view shed? No. So a view shed, and it kind of goes into what we were talking about a minute ago. In fact, fun fact number two, with how far you can see, of uh, the view shed is the expanse of land that you can see. And so because Bryce Canyon is basically the pinnacle of the Grand Staircase and the atmosphere is so clear you can see really far and nobody lives out there. And so a lot of people comment when they're at Bryce Canyon, you know, in some of these places where you can see really far, it's just like, I feel like I have this whole place to myself. You know, there's nobody around. There's a couple of small towns like Panguitch and and Tropic that are around, but in general, it's one of the most empty parts of the country. Yeah, I mean, well, because I'm just thinking about the landscape there. So you kind of dip in, like the road through Bryce Canyon's not very long, in the first place, you know, so you're kind of up on top, but that road's not very long. And then if you take Highway 12, which goes past Bryce Canyon mm-hmm. up towards Capitol Reef, you know, that's really the only road in that area. And it works its way away from Bryce Canyon. You know, right. it goes northeast from Bryce Canyon. Mm-hmm. And so like really the next nearest road that I can think of, especially if you're looking out like towards the Grand Staircase. Uh-huh. So you're looking south you know, really the next road I can think of that kind of cuts over in there, like you've, you've got to go almost all the way down to like Kanab yeah. and then cut over a, along the Vermilion Cliffs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's 
for those of you that aren't familiar with Utah, you know, from Bryce Canyon to Kanab, it's what, like an hour and a half uh-huh. or so, you know, of a drive further south. And Kanab is right on the Arizona border. And so that whole area from Bryce Canyon to Kanab, like kind of out in the wilderness area right there, there's literally nothing. Yeah. There are very few places that could possibly send up any rays of light (laughs) that could inhibit your view of the night sky. It's incredible. And I actually think that the area was one of the last places that was fully mapped in the United States. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. What was the guy's name that lost his arm that was an explorer? John Wesley Powell? What, What? John Wesley Powell? John Wesley Powell, yeah. Those expeditions were like the la- the final exploration expeditions to map what was in the United States. Like we had settlements in California, we had settlements all up and down the Pacific Northwest. We still hadn't figured out where the Colorado went, where the right. Colorado River went. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, and and if you're not on the river, if you're like at the north rim of the Grand Canyon in between the North Rim and Bryce Canyon, man, that would be really rough yeah. to, to walk, <laughs> to explore. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I love that it's still quiet. Uh-huh. It's still untamed in so many ways, that whole area out there. So yeah, I mean, the night sky from there, if you've ever wanted to see the Milky Way, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't get good stars at home, then definitely, definitely, definitely go outside for a few minutes at Bryce Canyon yeah. and just soak in the the views. Oh yeah, it's awesome. And it's so dark up there. Part of it is because the elevation is so high and there is so much atmosphere that is below where Bryce Canyon is at. And so the atmosphere gets thinner as you go up. And so the sea level, it's super thick. As you go higher and higher, the atmosphere gets thinner and thinner. Not just like because there's less... I don't know. It's not linear. It's actually heavier and thicker at the bottom than it is higher up. And so you're looking through less of an atmosphere and you can actually see like uh, you've heard of the Andromeda galaxy, right? Yeah. The nearest galaxy to ours. Well, it's actually, I don't think that's correct. The Andromeda galaxy. I've always learned uh, that. (laughs) On their website. Yeah. So they say, they say that the Andromeda galaxy is the furthest thing in the sky that you can see with your naked eye. Yeah, but isn't it the closest galaxy to the Milky Way galaxy? Yes, it is our it's our sister galaxy. Right. Okay. So Right. So we're saying the same thing. Okay. <laughs> this happens a lot, by the way. <laughs> we're like both saying the same thing. No, you're thing. wrong. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, you're right. Yes, I am. The Andromeda okay. galaxy is the closest galaxy to the Milky Way galaxy. Yes. But the farthest thing that you can see with your naked eye right. from our galaxy. Right. Now, I'm trying to put this into a frame of reference so we can see how far things are. But like the Andromeda galaxy is 2.2 million light years away. But a light year is 6 trillion miles. Yeah. (laughs) When you start talking about stuff like that, that's where my brain is just like, cannot compute. I don't get it. It's so huge. Like they show on the, I think on the park website, they have like how far in miles 2.2 million light years is and it's like a hundred zeros is what it looks yeah, like yeah. to me and i so, can't even i can't even comprehend i i know it's far mm-hmm. <laughs> i know that it's you know really amazing that you can see it yeah from here but uh that's about as far as my brain works <laughs> yeah and what's crazy is it shows up is like this little star little yeah. dot up there but that andromeda galaxy that little star is one hundred and ten thousand light years across Well, and I feel like when I've seen it before, it looks a little bit fuzzy. Like it's not just a, you know. It's not just a star. Yeah. And so you can tell it's not just a star. But you know how like when you're looking at stars, you've kind of got to use your periphery, Mm -hmm. you know, to actually see. You can't look directly at it. Yeah. And so that's when like my eyes start like wigging out and like I start feeling like (laughs) I can't see very good. (laughs) I get really like mental in my head when my eyes start doing weird stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I feel like I have seen before, you know, when I've looked at that galaxy, if your eyes don't wig out, (laughs) then you can tell it's not just a star. It's like a fuzzy, blurry star that is actually what you're looking at is a whole galaxy, which is really cool. So cool. Yeah. But yeah, the night skies are just beyond compare. It's so good at Bryce Canyon. One last fun thing that you can actually take advantage of or notice when you're at the 
Bryce Canyon. So did you know you can actually see Earth's shadow? No. Yes. And so what is cool, so if you're standing on the rim of Bryce Canyon and you're looking, you know, you're enjoying the sunset, it has to be like after sunset. So the sun has already gone down. You might still be able to see some sun on the higher clouds above Bryce Canyon, everything like that. After that, like right after those clouds go away, the sun, you know, the sun is no longer on any of those clouds. If you look to the east, you can see like a purple band starting to appear in the sky that purple band is Earth's shadow on our own atmosphere. They call it Earth's penumbra. You learn something new every day. (laughs) I've never seen that or paid attention to it. Mm -hmm. So is that something you can, I mean, I'm assuming you can see it elsewhere, but like- I'm sure you probably could see it other places. You can see it really good from Bryce Canyon. Yeah. Earth's penumbra. Sounds like Earth's greatest question, you know. (laughs) I've never really heard that word before. Now we have to go back. Yes. Now, number four. Fun fact number four. Bryce Canyon has really cool trees. All right. Yep. That's true. (laughs) The amount of time we spend talking about the trees and sniffing the trees and Mm -hmm. admiring the trees in Bryce Canyon is uh, (laughs) a little bit more than other national parks. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit above average. Yeah. For not just for ourselves, but for... Definitely above average or what people would consider normal. And so well, there's, there's we never three. look normal when yeah. we're out in the national parks. We're so there's weirdos. three there's three different kinds of trees that I want to talk about today that are super cool. And we'll start with obviously the coolest to me, which is Oh, the bristle cone. The bristle Hands cone. Down. Yeah. Why is the bristle cone so cool to you? Why do you think? Why okay, do you like it? So the reason that I like the bristle cone. It's kind of a funny looking tree. Mm-hmm. Even when it's like when it looks alive, it's funny looking still. Uh huh. So we went to Great Basin National Park, which is where you'll see bristle cones as well. And I think that's where I really got my appreciation for them. Yep. So I didn't get my appreciation for them in Bryce Canyon, but I think it's super cool that Bryce Canyon has them. Yes. But basically, you know, like the ones you see in Great Basin literally were on the earth when Jesus was born. So, oh, yeah. I mean... And that's not even the oldest ones. It's insane. Yeah. And they don't look like they're alive in a lot of cases, but they're still alive. <laughs> and they're just like all twisty and crazy and mm-hmm. so, 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 so old. Yeah, they grow and they present themselves like the tree version of a bad hair day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're funny looking trees, but like once you know that they've literally been on the earth for 2000 years, mm-hmm. you know, then it's hard to hard to say anything bad about yeah. them. <laughs> so, yeah. So we saw those in Great Basin. And then I don't think like I don't think I really realized that Bryce Canyon had bristlecone pines mm-hmm. Yep. until we had seen them in Great Basin. Then we went to Bryce Canyon and it was like, oh, like these trees are here too. Mm -hmm. They're not as old. They're not as crazy looking, but they're there. And so it's really fun to see them. Actually, I like seeing them again. It's kind of like going, you know, going back or forward in time. Yeah. Because you see the ones in Great Basin, you see what they look like when they're 2000 years old. And then you also get to see like big, beautiful, mature bristlecone pines that aren't as old Mm -hmm. and they look different. They do. And there are a few different species of bristlecone. Like there's two, I think. And one is the Great Basin bristlecone and one is the Rocky Mountain bristlecone pine. There's a couple different species and they do have some differences. But generally speaking, I mean, well, you're you're talking about how some of these are 2000 years old. The oldest tree that was ever found was almost 5,000 years old. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And like, that's astounding. Yeah. And so the oldest living one now, they actually keep it in a secret look. They keep it in a secret look. They did not take it and keep it. (laughs) I was like, they uprooted a 5,000 year old tree. The oldest tree that they have now that they've found, they keep the location secret, but its name is Methuselah, which is a biblical name, obviously. But uh, Methuselah is like 4,600 years old. Oh my gosh. 
And somewhere in the Sierra Nevadas in California, which okay. so they keep it the location secret because almost from themselves, like scientists, oh, because yeah. the first bristlecone pine tree, well, the oldest bristlecone pine tree that they ever found, like some doctrine, doctorate student or whatever was doing like a study and he cut down this tree, oh. counted the rings, oh. and it was 4,900 years old. That is so painful. <laughs> I'm so, like, so we have to have keep tears coming down my face right now don't so we like have to tree. keep we have to make sure we don't love these trees too much yeah basically so we have to keep them secret we have to be gentle and soft with them well and nobody loves these trees more than you <laughs> yeah i know i feel like i would just like hang out and the tree would just not be happy i was there it's like john and guests and salmon get you know rotten after three days or something <laughs> smelly after three days so that they, they wouldn't want me. But, you know, bristlecone pine trees are so incredible. The reason that they are only in select locations is because they don't compete. They don't grow as fast as like the ponderosa pines, which we'll talk about in some of these other, you know, regular pine trees that you'll find, Colorado blue spruces. So many other trees grow faster than them. And so they don't compete as right. well. Okay, so their roots can't spread yeah. as fast. Right. And they, yeah. they in terms of competing for light and everything like that, they, they don't compete as well. So they have to grow they choose these harsh locations. Where nobody else wants to grow. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. So apparently in Bryce Canyon you'll find them in like very limestoney areas. Okay. And in other places they choose the school of hard knocks, man. Yeah. They they <laughs> like to grow where the desert is just burning hot and the winters are crazy cold. You don't get a lot of precipitation and the winds are just trying to kill you. So if there's a place on the planet that is trying to kill whatever's living there, bristlecone pines will choose that place. Nice. I love bristlecone pines. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I do have a tree that I might love even more as far as like what you can find in Bryce Canyon. Which one? I'm assuming it's on your list. Is it a scratch and sniff? It is. <laughs> it is. It's the scratch and sniff. <laughs> yes. The ponderosa pine tree, ladies and gentlemen. However, do not scratch it. Just yeah. sniff it. <laughs> Leave no trace. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You do not need to scratch the tree in order to sniff it. The ponderosa pines, yeah, they smell like butterscotch if you get up really close to them. And the way that you can tell that it's a ponderosa pine tree is the bark on the tree, you know, once it becomes kind of a mature tree, will turn kind of a beautiful orangish red. And if you put your nose right up next to it, give it a good whiff, you'll likely to find yourself pleasantly surprised. Yeah, disclaimer here, not all of them smell strong enough. And so if you see us in Bryce Canyon, we'll be sniffing all the trees <laughs> to find the best one. Yes, yes. And it is awesome. It is so much fun. It literally smells like the taste of those old school hard candies. And so it's pretty fun. My son thinks that they smell a little more vanilla-y. I think that they're butterscotches. Yeah, I, I always get the butterscotch whiff. But yeah, so if you're wanting to also be weird and smell trees when you're in Bryce Canyon, look for the trees that have a reddish hue mm -hmm. on the bark. And then a lot of times the bark, it almost looks like little, like, I don't know, circles maybe like three to four inches in diameter pieced together. Oh, like, yeah. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Like mm. the bark is kind of, it, looks like, it looks like a collage, mm. kind of like somebody grabbed pieces of bark and glued them up there. Uh huh. So if you're wanting to sniff ponderosas, that's what you look for. <laughs> I had an unfortunate experience this last time at the park because some of these gaps between the pieces of bark are large enough for spiders to put webs. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like getting really close to this tree and I put my nose like I think I caught myself luckily before there was any real damage done. But uh yeah, I think I put my nose right into a spider web and it was <laughs> that's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> and also I was thinking, you know how funny like a lot of people think that tree hugger is kind of a derogatory term. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking, I wonder what people would think about tree sniffers. <laughs> tree, the tree smellers. They're tree sniffers. <laughs> Very cool. We're tree huggers and tree sniffers in this right. family. So mm -hmm. Love it. It is so much fun exploring. Once you know a little bit about trees sometimes, it really enhances your experience because you know what you're looking at. There's another tree. The last one that I'll talk about is the limber pine. Okay. Okay. Now, limber pines 
What's the first thing you think about when you think of the name limber pine? Lim- limber to me sounds like it's like kind of flexible. Flexible. Yeah. yeah. That's the word I'm going for because limber pines are especially flexible. And the way that that comes in handy for these specific trees is we're up at such a high elevation that you're getting tons of wind, lots of high winds, major snowfalls in the winter too, though. And so that's pretty hard on a tree sometimes. And so you've got these massive snow loads that are just hanging on these branches and it helps to be flexible. And so these branches, instead of evolving to be crazy strong and maybe a little bit brittle, they went the other direction. And so they're so flexible that they get these huge snow loads, they can bend down and the snow will just fall off. It's so cool. Don't do this because there's so many park visitors. If everybody walked up to the trees and tried to do this, it would be really bad for the trees. But you can actually, some of these tree branches are so flexible that you can like bend them into a circle Hmm. and the branch doesn't break. Okay. So don't do it. So just maybe tap the branches and you'll see them bounce up and down. But if everybody tries to bend these trees we're going to break a lot of branches yeah, yeah. but they Please are bend them. Yeah, but they are so flexible it's pretty incredible that these trees they've all developed you know different adaptations to handle the landscape that they're living in but the limber pines are really cool in that way because they're the ones that they just like everything rolls off their back yeah so your favorite tree your absolute favorite tree in bryce canyon is a limber pine right correct that's the there's a, this tree at Sunrise Point right off the observation deck at Sunrise Point. There's a tree that's a limber pine, and it's not huge. It's still kind of a a smaller tree. But what's neat about it is the ground right underneath the base of the tree has eroded away down the canyon, and so the tree is literally like standing on stilts. Yeah, it looks like it's up on stilts. Mm-hmm. There's no ground <laughs> in between the, the trunk and the roots. Yeah, the roots are like just trying to grow as fast as they can to get, you know, to get a good hold on the earth that's underneath it. It just looks like an octopus tree. Yeah. So it's really cool. And so bristlecone pine trees, ponderosa pines, limber pines, all really cool trees that you'll see at Bryce Canyon. So I have to add that this is how much John loves these trees is that we have both limber pines and bristlecone <laughs> in our backyard. We do. So we bought a plot of where our house is. It was just grass. And we're not just grass people. We needed trees. And <laughs> <laughs> one summer we ended up, uh, how many p- trees did we plant? Like we planted 32 30, trees. Yeah, 32 trees in our backyard. And John wanted limber pines <laughs> and he wanted a bristlecone. And we have both. Yep. We sure so if you ever want to come over and see how bendy the branches of the limber pine is, you can do so on our trees. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's pretty funny. I think I don't think I realized. And in fact, I feel like the other day you said, I really wish we would have. Yeah, because we were in Bryce Canyon uh-huh. last week. And John was like, I really wish we would have planted a ponderosa in our backyard. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know I could have had my own butterscotch tree whenever I wanted. Yeah, but we got two of the three. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. The ponderosas grow to quite a bit larger height, which is why I think I decided against it. Because if it ever falls, it's going right on my neighbor's house. And I didn't want that to happen. Yeah, yeah. We had to be logical. So luckily I chose the (laughs) bristle cone, which will be... You know, as tall as me by the time I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> because it's the slowest growing tree basically in the world. Hey, that little guy grew like five or six inches. No, three inches. <laughs> I was being I was being too too kind. Yeah. He grew like three inches this year. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. We'll give it to him. Yeah. <laughs> High five, little guy. <laughs> All right. The last and final fun fact is Bryce Canyon has an amazing human history. Okay, I'm so excited to talk about this. Okay, so we'll talk about the most recent move-ins first, and then we'll talk about the native peoples who have been here for thousands of years. But we're going to start more recent and work our way back. And so explorers, when do you think I was about to lead the witness? And so that did uh, I feel like you should lead the witness because <laughs> the witness doesn't know. Okay. What do you think is so special about Bryce Canyon and 
1776. Oh, wow. I, uh, <laughs> I don't think Did he... George Washington cross the Delaware River and land in At Bryce, Bryce Canyon? Canyon? No, <laughs> it's pretty far away from Bryce Canyon. You didn't lead me enough. Let's try again. <laughs> okay. Europeans. Which Europeans do you think were the first ones to stumble around Bryce Canyon area? Well, if it has to do with 1776, then probably the British. Good guess. French. The Spanish. Well, okay. So I was thinking the Spanish, <laughs> but then I didn't know the, the... How did they fit into 1776? Yeah. So it's. I think that's just a a very coincidental oh my gosh. type of situation. You led me astray. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that was so rude. Yes. I went through all, but I was thinking, well, I know the Spanish were in the area forever. Yes. Well, the British and the Americans both wanted to claim Bryce Canyon's hoodoos. And so that's what the Revolutionary War was really about. Oh, um, my gosh. I thought you were telling the truth until you said <laughs> the Revolutionary War. But I was like, really? <laughs> no, no. So something cool. Santa Fe is actually, I think, the oldest capital city in North America. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's because the Spanish moved in. So after they, there's a lot of conquistador, you know, things. Well, the whole area was part of Mexico. Right. California, all of this, all of the Southwest was part of Mexico. And the Spanish explorers were the first ones that actually, after, you know, they made it as far north as Santa Fe. Santa Fe was a really cool place. Well, a lot of the most important explorers to the Spanish were actually friars. You have so there was an expedition led by Franciscan friars that they didn't actually make it to Bryce Canyon, but they were pretty much within view of it is really? where their route came. And so okay. they made it as far north as like this Bryce Canyon viewing area. I don't know exactly how close they were, but those were the very first European explorers that made it into the area, whereas this Spanish expedition led by a bunch of friars, you know, to try to, I think they were trying to find like a trail to a different place, but I don't think that they actually found it through Bryce Canyon area. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so after that, it was quite a long time before more explorers came through the area. Like Jedediah Smith came through. There was John C. Fremont, I think, was another explorer that came through. But it actually wasn't the Bryce Canyon area itself wasn't actually settled until like the, the late 1800s. When, you know, there was a pioneer community that kind of moved in nearby among whom was the namesake of Bryce Canyon, which was Ebenezer Bryce, Ebenezer Bryce. Exactly. And so, but he didn't actually stick around very long. You know, I think it's funny because (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there were more deserving people to be, (laughs) have the name. Right. Like George Washington, who fought the revolutionary war for Bryce Canyon. The French. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No. So uh, Ebenezer Bryce was there. And he kind of settled Tropic, right? I mean, Tropic is an old pioneer community. Correct. And they built the canal to get the water down there and everything. So like he, you know, obviously had to do some work in the area to be able to live there. Right. And I guess as since we're talking like hundreds of years here, the time that he spent obviously was very short compared to that. So he was around for a little while. And there's a funny quote that I don't think is actually attributable to him, but people always kind of do attribute to him. He says that, Bryce Canyon is a hell of a place to lose a cow or something like that. Which is true. <laughs> you would have a terrible time trying to find anything in there. <laughs> yes, I think that's true. I actually wonder, I think there were more sheep that were in Bryce Canyon than cows too, which is kind of funny. I'm pretty sure Bryce Point has that quote on the plaque uh-huh. up there though. So the <laughs> National Park Service has uh, gotten on board with that okay. attribution. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, yeah, there's, so he was there for a while. He ended up leaving, went to like Northern Arizona, you know, and he, and he, and he left, but then the uh, pioneers, a lot of the pioneer communities stuck around and they kind of dug their heels in and kind of made their, their farming communities last. And so that's where you've got Tropic and Panguitch and some of these other ones that are, that kind of hang out. Which truthfully, those uh, towns probably haven't gotten much bigger. (laughs) 
no. since they were settled. Yeah, I think I think you're right. But the pioneer heritage is still pretty strong in the area. Yeah. Which is really fun. And which is why, you know, Bryce City itself kind of had, you know, there's some sections that resemble like an old West town. Right. And they do the rodeo. They do the rodeo yeah. all the t- every yeah. It's it's a really fun place. And so the the more recent human heritage of Bryce Canyon is really kind of fun. You know, people don't, I never realized until I was really kind of doing my research that it extends back to the Spanish explorers. You know, then you kind of have the more Daniel Booney kind of guys, you right. know, with... Yeah, the mountain men. With Jedediah Smith and everything. And then it's, it's kind of cool. I love I love the different eras in exploration that the area has gone through. It's really kind of fun. But then you get to the really old human history which yeah, I think which is the good stuff. Yeah, which both of us really love. And so the native people, there's evidence that the native people, or at least the, the latest evidence that we've found show that the native peoples were in the area for at least 12,000 years. Whew, yeah. There were not any like permanent settlements ever made yeah. in the Bryce Canyon area, but there were some close and so the Bryce Canyon area itself was actually more of a seasonal hunting ground. Okay. Used for like hunting and gathering. And so I'm kind of, I kind of picture, you know, I think the, the Paiute tribe is the tribe that most recently claims the area as their heritage. So going back to Utah history, you know, from the eighth grade, I remember the Paiutes are uh, more... Aren't they the ones who um, make like the kind of the mud huts? The Hogans? I don't know if that's what they call them. I don't Um, recall. Sorry to any Paiute tribe members out there. But like, I, you know, they weren't as nomadic, I don't think, as like the Ute tribe and stuff with their teepees. Mm -hmm. But they weren't as settled. Right. Either, you know, because they were hunter gatherers. Mm -hmm. They had to be able to move with... The food. Right. And it's a lot of the wildlife in the Bryce Canyon area is up on the top of the plateau. So kind of away from the hoodoos is where a lot of the wildlife that they probably were hunting were. However, like in my mind, what I picture happening is like, you know, let's say they had like a a couple times a year or maybe they went up there in the fall or something like that. You know, they had this time of year where they would take this little, they would take this expedition up to this really high mountainous area you know and they would kind of like i just kind of picture like around the campfires being like yeah we're going up to that cool area with all those crazy rock formations you know and i kind of wonder what actually is neat is we don't have to wonder what they told themselves around the campfire you know in preparation for this expedition this hunting expedition we know exactly what the story was that they told because i think it was in 1936 a an elder, Paiute, right? Eld- yeah, he was a Paiute elder who uh-huh. met with the park rangers and basically shared the legend of, of Bryce Canyon as was told all through the generations of his people. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. And so his name, at least according to the National Park Service, was Indian Dick. Yeah. So 1936, Indian Dick, he was a Paiute elder who lived on the Kaibab Reservation, and he shared this story with him about what they would tell, what the legend was. And so I'm just trying to kind of try to set the mood for a second before I read it, because it's so cool. So imagine you're sitting at the campfire with your dad or your mom or your grandma and grandpa. You know, you got your, this is your family shared fire, and you're getting ready to go on this hunting expedition the next day, and they're telling you, okay, we're going up to this place. It's a really special place. And this is what Indian Dick said. He said, before there were humans, the legend people, Tuwanangwa, lived in that place. There were many of them. They were of many kinds, birds, animals, lizards, and such things. But they looked like people. They were not people. They had power to make themselves look that way. For some reason, the legend people in that place were bad. They did something that was not good. Perhaps a fight, perhaps some stole something. The tale is not clear at this point because they were bad. Coyote turned them all into rocks. You can see them in that place now, all turned into rocks. Some standing in rows, some sitting down, some holding on to others. 
you can see their faces with paint on them just as they were before they came to rocks. The name of that place is Enka Kuwasawitz, Red Painted Faces. This is the story that people tell. Ugh, I love it because when you stand <laughs> at Bryce Canyon, they do look like people that have been turned into rocks. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. It's haunting. Oh, it's so cool. And if you put yourself into that position, like, we're going to go explore. We're, we're going to this place. We have to get food to get through the winter, but we're going up to the place of the legend people. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Oh, so I love learning more about the native people that lived in the area because I think it just it helps you get a more full view of what you're seeing. You know, you can understand it better. But to me, like Bryce Canyon is one of my very favorites for that reason, because once you know the legend, you can't not see it. Right. You know, it's so obvious yeah. that like the legend fits perfectly with the scenery. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And maybe they were the legend people. They look like it. I like I can't not see that when I'm there. <laughs> you can see faces in the rocks. Mm -hmm. Some of them do look like they're holding on to somebody next to them. You know, like it's crazy. And, you know, from some viewpoints, like, you know, kind of when you go up, Inspiration Point, mm -hmm. I think is a really good place to stand if you want to see just like the rows of people. And it does. It looks like a crowd at a concert. Yeah. You know? And so that's, I love Inspiration Point for that reason, because when you're looking out, you are seeing the rows of the hoodoos as people are just standing in rows. People turn to rock. I yep. swear. I, it's the coolest thing. It's the greatest, cool, mythic story, possibly true. Nobody knows, but it's so cool. It just adds to the amazing human history of the area. That is the coolest part of the human history of the area to me. Yeah, hands so, down. And as you visit Bryce Canyon, you're part of that human history now. And as you listen to that legend, as you appreciate it, as you visit and see and kind of put yourself in the shoes of those native peoples that lived here and kind of imagine it from their point of view... It really turns your perspective and it changes your experience so that you can appreciate the area in a totally different way. Yeah. It's not just, we're just looking at weathered rock patterns, you know? Oh yeah. It can be so much more than that. Mm -hmm. And especially I would um, encourage you to get out either around sunrise or sunset too, because the way the light casts shadows on the hoodoos and I mean, it just feels magical exactly mythic legendary yeah well and then if you're hiking down in them you look up and you see a face in the rock mm -hmm. colossal <laughs> yeah it's awesome those were great fun facts five fun facts for your next trip hopefully that helps you enjoy the place a little bit better thanks for exploring the national parks with us please share, like, and subscribe. And if you need any help planning your own trip, click on over to dirtinmyshoes.com. See you next week. Same time, same place. And don't forget to get some dirt in your shoes.